Welcome to episode 18 of the MN Corner. This is Brad Rothschild. And I'm Stephen Cook. Stephen, it's the high episode. Oh, that's right. It's the high episode. And we're going to get high. <laughs> what, now, to explain to our listeners, and quite honestly to me, the significance yes. of 18 in the Jewish faith. It means life, because in the, oh, I don't think it's the Jewish faith as much as it's in the um, Jewish tradition. Oh. Because numbers, uh, letters have numerical values. Because we have, like, freaky-deaky so numerology, the, too. The, the letters... The, um, correspond, the letters that correspond to 18 spell out the word life oh. in Hebrew. So chai is the word for life. And that's 18. And today we're going to get chai <laughs> in the amen corner. So that's why, so 18, that's why, like, you know, my grandmother's aunt gave me $18 for my bar mitzvah. Exactly. I get and it. even to. Yeah, and that's why people give amounts that are divisible by 18. Oh, okay. Although, as I always, as I need to remind some of my cheaper friends, <laughs> nine is not nine is not divisible by 18. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, I know. I'm not so ignorant, but I had forgotten the exact reason why. Yeah. Yeah. is so important. Is yeah, exactly. But you know, when you're when you're a kid and somebody gives you eighteen dollars for your bar mitzvah, you're like, you cheap piece of shit. <laughs> exactly. It's like, I, I mean, now it's like fifty four is like the minimum, right, 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 right? And and that would be, of course, three times high. Well, th- well, that's why we gave Jordan and Talia fifty five dollars. <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. Yeah, oh, the minimum's fifty-four. I'll do you one minute. I'll do you one it's like cho- It's like you never choose the cheapest bottle of wine on the menu. You always choose the second cheapest bottle of wine on the menu, which is why the second cheapest bottle of wine is always the worst deal. <laughs> FYI. So what's going on besides the high episode? The high episode. You had a traumatic is, week, uh, I think. The high, the high episode is the highlight of my life, <laughs> of my week, because I did have a traumatic week. Tell us, um, tell us. The week started. The week started on Sunday at the um, Jewish rally for refugees but, in New York City in Battery Park. My fist is in the air. Battery Park in 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 eyesight of the Statue of Liberty and exactly. Ellis Island. Exactly. I love the symbolism of it. It was great, except it was really cold and rainy and, like, frozen rain, and it was bitter. God. And um, as I was trying to go on Facebook Live with, uh, from, the, from the rally, yeah. I dropped my phone into, not just dropped it, like, dropped it into a full-on puddle. Oh, jeez. Like, where I had to literally shove my hand in and fish around until I found oh it. Oh, my God. So it ruined the phone and your hand was frozen. And my gloves oh. and everything. And, you know, you file that under the category of no good deed goes unpunished. So let me ask you a question. Uh, this is, yeah. did you continue protesting or did you just say, fuck it, I'm going home? No, no, we continued to oh, protest. Okay, good. But I was, so you are really committed really, to the cause. Yeah. All right. But I was not happy. And then the phone worked for a little while right. and then and then died. It was and strange couple, because I was I was texting you and, yeah, and I had not heard from you. Yeah. 
Well, I think if you go to my Facebook page and you check out some of the videos, you can actually see the phone dropping. The, the phone drop and in the water. It's kind of <laughs> fucked up. Um, you know, and but, it was bad you know, I because felt kind of bad. Like you know, so I was I, my I was phone telling I was starting to tell. Maddie and, um, and Mia, a story. It was disconcerting. I'll tell you what was worse, what? though, was being a couple of days without a phone. Oh, God. You feel really, I felt really weird. Like, it's just not natural anymore not to be, That's, you know, connected to your phone. And um, it, I would, like, sort of reach for my pocket when I'm, you know, getting up from a meeting or sitting down to something. And I'm like, oh, there's nothing I can check. I know. Can you, I and, can't imagine what life was like when I couldn't just, like... You know, hit an app and, and a car would show up and take me where I wanted to go and stuff like that. Exactly. Wow. But I, it was, it's mostly that, you know, I feel, I felt like there were emails that I was supposed to be looking at right, and texts that I was supposed to be. Yeah. And it's a very disconcerting feeling. Yeah, yeah. I felt very anxious. Well, you know, my, but, go ahead. But I, I, you know, I got a replacement phone. So yeah. I'm now back right, to you're back in You're back in business. No, back, I mean, I, I, I think it was during this when... Uh, when I was starting to tell Maddie and Mia's story, and Mia just looked at me, and this is how the kids have become habituated to it. She, Mia just looks at me and says, why don't you just text it to Brad? <laughs> yeah. That's, which is awesome on so many levels. Because <laughs> so, she's like, I don't care, I don't but care. I know just your friend Brad. will. Just text it yeah. to Brad. But your friend, your friend will care, so just text it to him. Yeah, so, these kids are so, these kids are jaded. They are jaded. I, I haven't been without my phone. I think I left it at home once and decided I wasn't going to go back. I wasn't going to back home, but by design, I left my phone home when Lauren and I went to Barbados for a week in 2011. But that was by design. Like, I just did not want to be connected. And Can I say something, though? That was six years ago. I know. You probably wouldn't be able to get away with that today. Oh, God, no. I definitely wouldn't be able to do it. Well, because I, I yeah. would be worried that, that people were not hearing from me. Exactly. Not that I wasn't hearing from other people, but that people weren't hearing from me. Isn't that Believe sick me, and demented? Start, you, you start to worry about both. <laughs> you would. You'd be like, what am I missing? Like, what's going on? Plus, with the news cycle that's oh, going God. on, well, like, that, anytime, that's, anytime you put the phone down for 45 minutes, you know that you've missed, like, some huge event. Well, that would almost be the in, pleasure of it. Like, I, I live in fear of my Politico, Washington Post, and NPR breaking news alerts. Like, what other yeah, crazy true. shit is going yeah. down in Washington? I was away. Yeah, I was away on Monday and Tuesday, and I came back, and I was struck by it seems even crazier. Like, you sort of get habituated to it when you live here a little bit. Yeah. And, and not that it's become normal, but then I was away. And everybody outside the, uh, outside D.C. is talking, at least the people that I was in contact with are talking about politics and so on and so forth. But it just seems crazier and crazier in this, like, hothouse of Washington, D.C. It's just nuts. I think it's crazier and crazier everywhere. Um, and I think, like you said, you know, you miss Monday and Tuesday. It's like, well, what could possibly have happened? Like, oh, maybe the National Security Advisor is forced to resign. I, I was, you know, something small like that. I turned on the TV for one second. I just wanted to catch up on, you know, scores or whatever at 1130 on Monday night. And CNN has this breaking thing. Flynn resigns. Yeah. I was like, holy shit. And you know what? what? It's now mo most people have even forgotten Forgot about, about that by now. Well, <laughs> remember when the most important thing was how many people showed up at the inauguration? We are so far from yeah. that. It's only been like three and a half weeks. Although we're still talking about that. Yeah, but not as much. <laughs> I, I, I will tell you this Flynn thing, though. It freaked me out because 
not only okay, so he resigned and stuff, and then there's this uproar, and Republican lawmakers are starting to talk about having an investigation. And I think a lot of people say, mm-hmm. okay, you know, Republican lawmakers are starting to come around that there's some really not just crazy, but illegal, possibly Criminal? treasonous yeah. things going yeah. on within the Trump administration. Yeah. But, oh, no, 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 that's not what they're really interested in investigating. They're interested in investigating the leaks and the leaks coming from allegedly the intel community. Right, um, right. And so, so they're, they're going to wage war on the intelligence community. And I will tell you that, you know, from journalists I know who, you know, thrive on this leaking and stuff, they would obviously never reveal their sources. But they say they never actually get leaks from the intel community. It's mostly from Congress. Interesting. Mostly from Congress. But, uh, but, I mean, this speaks to a larger issue, which is it's very clear that the Republican Congress has no interest in putting the country in front before the party. No, no. And they're not going to do it. And they get really angry when people say they're putting party before the country, but I think it's no. self-evident that that's what they're doing. They're, they're not going to hold him accountable. You know, for people who think like, oh, we're going to he's going to get impeached, like he's not going to survive. Like, no, No. that's not going to happen as long as this Congress is controlled by these Republicans. They have they have no interest in in seeing him go. Absolutely. Because as long as as long as their agenda is uh, is going to be put forward, they're not going to they're not going to they're going to give him the coverage he needs to survive. Oh, absolutely. It's repealing Obamacare. Even, Even. Yeah. Even at the expense of the health of our uh of our country, and even at the expense of us going to war. You think we're going to go to war? I didn't say I think we're going to go to war, but it wouldn't. Nothing would surprise me at this point. <laughs> right. I will tell you there was I mean, there was some good news this week. Uh, the guy that he there asked, was? well, the guy that he asked to serve as his national security advisor after Flynn left said no, thank you. <laughs> that that was you know finally. Finally, this yeah. uh, re- retired Admiral uh, Harwood, who had been a deputy to now Secretary of Defense Mattis when Mattis was the commanding yeah. general of uh, Central Command, very, very well respected. And Harwood said, no, no, thank you. This is too dysfunctional. Uh, I'm not going to be able to staff my National Security Council the way I want. I don't need this headache. I don't need to, I don't need to tarnish what has been a sterling career. I don't understand why more people haven't done that. All these people, I think we've talked about this before, all these people who are never Trump or if they weren't never Trump had written things about Donald Trump saying how he was unfit for office, who advocated a third party candidate and so on and so forth. And the second that they get a nod from the Trump administration, they go running off either to Trump Tower before the inauguration or to the Oval Office to genuflect in front of the man um, so that they can have a job. Where is – I know people talk about this town and so on and so forth, but if there is ever a time to stay true to, to your alleged some, principles, now is well, it. Well, that's it. And they don't have – these people don't have principles. Have no principles. I'm sorry. It's extraordinarily It's It's just – it's – well – I mean, I'm not disappointed because I don't have higher expectations of many yeah, of those I, I must be naive. I mean, even after all this time in Washington, I must be naive about the fact that some people yeah. have scruples somewhere. And this, it, this administration is so grotesque um, that people would say, okay, I'll serve. It's all about getting the badge. I mean, and people rationalize yeah. this. They say, oh, well, I have to serve the country. And when the president of the United States asks you to do something, how could you say no? You can say no. 
when he's well, a, a racist, Islamophobe, authoritarian demagogue, yes, you absolutely can say. Appa- apparently, I'm not interested. Though, sorry. Apparently, you can say no because um, Trump had a meal earlier this week with Chris Christie, <laughs> and he made him he made him get the meatloaf. What is with this guy, Chris Christie? I mean, first of all, did you hear this? Did you hear about this? That Trump ordered the lunch for him. He said, "You're gonna have the meatloaf." What? What if and he you know what? Chris Christie I don't fucking understand. Chris Christie ate the meatloaf because Trump told him you're going to get the meatloaf. I, I th- Chris Christie must be thinking he's going to be the next chief of staff or something like that. After Trump has just crapped either all that, over him, either either that or he really likes meatloaf. <laughs> I mean, you know, I bet I bet a meatloaf out you know of the White House dining room is a fairly good meatloaf. I mean, and I could see you know. President Trump saying to Christie, hey, yo, the, the meatloaf is really good. You really ought to try it. I'm going to order it for ma, you. But if Christie ma, said... Ma, the meatloaf. Ma, ma, the, the one, meatloaf. The, one of the greatest scenes in movies of all time. Yeah. Uh, all time. So if Christie had said, I really don't want the meatloaf. I'm watching my film. I'm watching, right, exactly. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I, I would like the salmon. And <laughs> what he can't say, he, he, he can't have the salmon. I mean, what the fuck? It's so crazy. That was dominating my my Twitter feed yesterday. That and shit sandwich. The meatloaf yeah, and shit I sh- sandwich. I well, have the shit sandwich. Well, that's what that's yeah. what Admiral apparently Admiral Harwood, if that's the way you right. actually pronounce his name, Admiral Harwood said to a confidant and friend I, who was then obviously authorized to tell it to the press, was that the job was a shit sandwich. Um, I thought it was, I thought his name was pronounced Horowitz. <laughs> <laughs> Is it not Horowitz? <laughs> No. It's not Admiral Horowitz. No, it's not. It's not. And uh, damn it, damn it, damn it. Maybe they'll make that guy Stephen Miller the next national security advisor. Oh my god, you know, that guy needs a. That guy needs to be punched in the he, face. Well, that's his problem. That was my mom's theory. My mom's like, "Look, I worked in the high school for a long time. I was a librarian. I was a teacher. I was like this kid. He has no charm." He had nothing. Yeah. He had no friends. No one liked him. He was a big mouth. He thought he was smarter than everybody. So no one ever wanted to have him do anything to do with him. And now this is his revenge on the world. It's awful. It's true. It's to- I mean, exactly. It's. It, I, I think she's absolutely. I'll show you. I'll show you. I'll show all I'm going to be an authoritarian. All right. I'm going to fuck up the country I'll because you weren't nice you. to me in high school. Isn't that what happened with Hitler? <laughs> It, it was funny that I was I was watching something the day after that um, those amazing appearances on the part of Stephen Miller. He said the president's authority oh will not God. be questioned. And Jeff Greenfield, who used to be with ABC News and now he's a columnist, someone asked him what they, what he thought of it. And he said it was better in the original German. Damn! Yeah. I thought that was a great line. Yeah. I thought that was a great line. Yeah, but that's not that's not an original line. Though. No, 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 no. But I think it was it was perfect for this. Little yeah, it's true. authoritarian Jewish kid from Southern California who seems like such who an speaks, asshole. Who speaks with a Southern accent now that he went to Duke. <laughs> and was pals with Richard Spencer, the neo-Nazi. Not, Jesus. Apparently, there was some article I was reading the other day where they were um, somebody had gone into the archives of the Duke newspaper right. to his old columns, and he's a fucking lunatic. <laughs> like he's just a you know provocateur. And, and, like, and now he's a policy yeah. advisor to the president of the United States. 
I mean, senior, senior, senior policy, policy advisor. advisor. He's not some columnist at the American Spectator, which no one reads. He's a senior exactly. policy advisor for the president of the United States. This which, is the rabbit hole in which nuts. we are now nuts. gone down. But, but you know what is even crazier than all of this? What? Like, thirty-five percent of the country thinks that <laughs> he's doing a great job. I know. You, I mean, you look at this at this press conference that he had the other day—an hour and fifteen minutes of rambling, incoherent yelling, and stomping around and whining, <laughs> and you know, berating reporters. The leaks are real, but the people. news is fake. And then, the you know, I don't see how by any objective measure anybody can say, like, yeah, I think he did a pretty good no, job with that. I, there, but 35% of the country thinks he's doing a good somebody, job with that. Somebody tweeted out today that there was a focus group somewhere in the middle of the country, and everybody said, yeah. oh, no, he's doing exactly what he was, said he was going to do. We're loving it. We're absolutely loving now, it. Now, what was the percentage in that focus group? I think it was everyone. I don't know. But, and the focus group was in the Midwest? Yeah. Yeah, I, I would like to see the average um, age, sex, religion, and weight, uh, and color of the people in that photo. Let me guess. Um, 65. 55. 55-year-old, no, white, 235-pound Christian man. Plus. 235 plus. And right. yes, yeah, two thirty-five is no, like the lower you know, limit. That's, that wouldn't be recognize, Let's not be. Let's not be totally crazy here. Trump won college-educated women. Stunning. That's true. Stunning. I mean, how would you explain blowing. that? How would you explain? I that? have no idea. I have, you know, you have to have some idea. Uh, women, I mean, women I have, don't like other women. I have no idea, honestly. How is it possible that anybody? I mean, anybody, a woman. After all yes. of the, the, the grabbing yeah. pussy, I know Lauren Bond doesn't like that term, but grabbing, his words, not ours, um, the not allegations mine, of, you know, yeah, predatory serious, sexual behavior, yeah. Yeah, the attacks on, pro, uh, on Planned Parenthood and reproductive rights. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. It blows my mind. I live so in a how, bubble. I mean... No, yeah, maybe we do live in a no, bubble. No, we do. Because but my bubble's bigger than their bubble. bubble. Come on. But, yeah, no, your bubble is also multicolored <laughs> as, as opposed to their bubble, which is just it, it, translucent. It, exactly. And, you know, that's, 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 there's, a, there's a point in there is that, you know, all of this ferment about keeping Muslims out of the country and building a wall and so on and so forth, many of these people in these places, in, this, in this, these bubbles, these non-West or East Coast bubbles, have never right. had any contact with Muslims. Don't have That's a lot true. of contact with Hispanics. I remember, true. I remember during the campaign, there's a, there's a woman who, uh, a very talented young journalist who works for NPR named Asma Khalid. Um, and I know her a little bit. She used to be a producer, so she would call me from, from time to time. But she's now a reporter out in the field, and she did a great job, and she covered the campaign. And she was in these places, and she wears hijab. Um, she was born here in the United States, obviously, to, to, to Muslim parents. And she was invited into someone's home, and it dawned on her. She did this story. It was a great story. And it dawned yeah. on her that Asma was the first Muslim that the woman who invited her into her home had ever been in contact with. Yeah, that doesn't sound a surprise. And so, right? you know, the way in which the, the terrorist threat and the has been framed 
and the emphasis on security and you can't question security and we're doing this for the security of the country has fed this irrational fear of Muslims and Mexicans and so on and so forth. And, And that's that bubble and that's why you can imagine the focus group somewhere in the Midwest of the country made up of predominantly people, 55, 65 years old, white Christian people. Um, You know, I don't want to comment on how much they weigh, but... uh, Well, we don't know. (laughs) We don't know. Um, They could be anorexic. But that's why they must think he's doing a great job. I guess. But they also hate the liberal media, the fake media. They're right. The fake media. The fake media. But, you know, I was thinking I was thinking about this this morning as I was walking uh, back from dropping my girls off at school. Uh, you remember a couple of weeks ago they had the uh, Yemeni bodega strike yeah. mm-hmm. the, uh, in, in Brooklyn and other parts of in, in, yeah, in, 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 uh, in New York City. Right. The, the bodegas, the Yemeni run bodegas, our own bodegas, all struck, you know, all went on strike. I, I would probably protest. call them Baels, not bodegas. Which is well, the that's proper the thing. That's Arabic what I want to say. Yeah. But that's the, this is the genius <laughs> and beauty of exactly. America. Exactly. Yemeni bodega. <laughs> Yemeni bodega. Bodega is a Spanish word. And the only Yemeni bodega. Yeah. New York City. That's the, the melting pot. Right. We have a Yemeni, well, we have Yemeni bodega. Well, how about this? My favorite example of this, and I use this in talks. When talking about secularism, because this always comes yeah. up in the, when it comes to Turkey, is that some huge number of those guys who sell kosher hot dogs on the streets in New York City are from Egypt. They're from Menifee yeah. in Egypt. And I remember when we were living in Manhattan, a lot of those guys on a Friday while they were selling their kosher hot dogs would roll out their prayer mats at prayer time. And nobody really batted an eyelash at this whole thing. But the, th- the Egyptian Muslim dude selling the kosher hot dogs in New York praying on a Friday, and nobody really gave a crap and thought exactly. it was like just a matter of course of business. That is the kind of beauty of America, just like the Yemeni bodegas. Um, I thought a lot of those Egyptian food guys are from Alexandria. Why? I know, because I had spoken with a few, and they all seemed to be from there. A lot of them I had spoken to, but a lot of them were from this province in, in, in Egypt called Manafia, which happens to be the same place oh. where Husni Mubarak is from. He might have worked out better as a hot dog seller in New York City. When I, yeah. ye- years and years ago, when I used to work at the Israeli mission to the U.N., uh-huh. I, would, I would get my lunch from this deli across the street right. from the office. And the guy behind the counter who I'd go to every day was this, like, really tall uh, Egyptian guy. I, I know that guy. He used to work <laughs> at the Hunter on, Deli. On 2nd Avenue? Well, he must exactly. have moved to the Hunter Deli, which is on uh, Lexington and 70th, because there was a really tall know. Egyptian guy who used to make my sandwiches at the Hunter this is Deli. Like 20, this is, like, 20 years Holy ago. Holy crap. Maybe they're brothers. Maybe it's the same dude. Uh, well, I mean, they're all just like all black people know each other. All Egyptians must know <laughs> well, each other. They're all named Muhammad, and, right? And and every day, like, and you know, like I knew at that point a little, a little bit of Arabic, uh-huh. like very little. Right? right, everything is I've forgotten everything. But you know, I used to throw the five words at him that I knew, and he would, and he loved me, and he would. I would walk in, and he'd be like, Mister Netanyahu. And he'd be like, I love it. That's so like, Egyptian. No, no. That is so Egyptian. He'd be like, no, no, you're you're much better than he is. You're much better than he is. <laughs> And um, and then there was another there was another guy um, when I worked I was working in Midtown and I used to go to this food cart and you know again I just have conversations with the guy right. and I would every once in a while I'd go down with another buddy of mine um, 
and we'd have lunch and whatever. And then one day I went to this guy by myself, and he's like, he's like your friend. He's like, where is he from? I'm like, oh, you know, he's uh, he's born in Belgium, but he, he's American. And he's like, he's not Muslim like you and me, right? I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> nice. I'm like, no, he's Christian. <laughs> That's pretty funny. Dude, and I know. Like, how about the, the halal guy's carts where people line up in New York City? Those, those are Egyptian yeah. dudes. Those, you know, that's what's one yeah. of the great things about New York, and that's why most of the country hates New York, to be completely honest with you. And that's why, why? because of the halal, group, of the halal yeah, guys? Yeah, because of the halal guys. Because there's you know, a, sen- there's a that, cosmopolitan the the country, sensibility that the, the world is not just a, an imagined way the United States was in the 1950s true. when it was great for white true. people and cr- pretty crappy to say the least, for everybody else. And that's what Making America Great is about. And that's why these focus groups in the middle of the country, they feel like something's being taken away from them. Right. You know, they're they're missing out on the halal food. Oh, my God. If they have not had, if they haven't had, like, the lamb platter. Oh, my God. Come on, you're missing out. Oh, my God. Yeah, they're you're absolutely missing out. Missing like, out. That's what you're missing. You'd be much happier. Much, much them. happier. Much, much happier. You know, I will commend to people, to our listeners... An article that my friend and former colleague Walter Russell Mead wrote in the new edition of Foreign Affairs, where he talks about the the Jacksonians of America, and that this yeah. the, that Trump's core constituency are Jacksonians, and they have a very very different view of the world than Wilsonians or you know people, liberal internationalists, neoconservatives, and that there is a real sense of American nationalism, not a sense of you know where you think about American ideals, but a, an attachment to the land and, the, and very clear ideas about what the role of the government is is to keep right. people safe and then allow Americans to be free in doing whatever it is that they want to do in this country. That's why there is this extraordinary emphasis on the Second Amendment and this extraordinary emphasis on building a wall and safety mm-hmm. and tapping into this question of security when it's it's kind of. Uh, it, it is has this incredible political effect. I mean, people believe that there are refugees pouring into this country right. when it's really right. not the case. It's extraordinarily hard to get into the United States. Um, right. The extreme vetting is already going on. Right. And but nevertheless, these Jacksonians believe that the people who have been in charge in the post World War Two era, which now yeah. stretches sixty plus years, have abdicated that role of protecting America in the favor of these more liberal cosmopolitan ideas about right. the world. And it's right. the revenge of, uh, of the Jacksonians. And I think, I think Walter's article really sets it out in, in, in the clearest terms I've read thus far. What is frightening about it is that there is really no way, there is no, there are no overlapping interests. There's no, there's no, there, there, there's no issues where you can start having a productive conversation with the Jacksonians because they view the world in a completely and totally different way from uh, many of the rest of us. Right. Their vision, their vision of what America is and should be is not what ours is. It just is not. And the one thing that I would add to what you were saying about like Second Amendment and security – there's also a very unhealthy distrust of government right. going on there. Right. 
and they just think that all government is evil, wrong, and bad, and should be abolished, reduced, whatever you want to say. They don't believe in in government. And that's the emphasis on the Second Amendment. It's to protect people from the government. from a tyrannical government. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. But really, that is not the, the vision that I have of this country. And certainly, you know, I don't, I think, you know, as a Jewish person, it's very hard uh, to get behind that vision. Except if you're and Stephen Miller. Why, and no one well, talked to you in high school because you were an asshole. Right, I guess so. <laughs> but that's why. Well, why do you think Jews have been at the forefront of civil rights, right. uh, separation of church and state, and all of these other um, uh, ideals that are enshrined in our Constitution, but that you know many people feel that, that we need to keep fighting for, because without those rights, then we are a despised minority. That's exactly here. right. We're, we are absolutely a despised minority without those protections, yeah. and that's and what's extraordinarily, that. extraordinarily frightening about what's happening in the country. Did you see what the president did at his insane news conference to this 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 journalist? Who to, asked about, to the Hasidic the Hasidic about anti-Semitism? Yeah, he yelled, he at, yelled him. at him. <laughs> and this guy was trying to lob him a softball. Because <laughs> the Hasids love Trump. They lo- he was like, this is a good question. And he fucking got pissed at him and yelled at him. He's a bully and an ass. Uh, well, that's not news. That's not news. That's not, not news. news. No, but I think that um, I think we're out of time for today. All right. The Chai episode, the episode is in the books. It flew by. To life. L'chaim. To life. Even though every day brings some other soul-crushing news item or items, I have to say, at at the end of our 18th episode, I just want to say L'chaim. L'chaim. We'll see everybody next week. Take it easy.